So Jason. Yes. What did one snowman say to the other snowman? I have no idea. Is it just me or does it smell like carrots out here? (laughs) Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Our guest today is Steve Hollis. With more than 40 years of professional international performing experience and 25 years as a K-12 certified music specialist, Steve is a full-time elementary music teacher in the Burbank Unified School District in Burbank, California. Steve has a BA in music education and a master's focusing on curriculum and instruction. He's a 2014 recipient of the ETMLA Shining Star Award and a specialist in vocal performance coaching. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank nice you. To I'm have glad you to here. be here. Thank, Thank you, you for here. asking. Yeah. Um, we were uh, rapping a little bit before we started recording about how you have so many vocal students right now, and, and I think that's going to be a, a, a topic we can keep uh, hitting at during this conversation. Um, okay. Because a lot of the people that, that uh, we hope are listening to this show <laughs> are uh, people starting off their career or people in music college. So I think they're going to get a lot of insight of what of what you have to say about prep, uh, prepping for auditions and, and all of this. So we'll get all into all of that. But uh, let's start with uh, the beginning of your musical journey. Take us back to how, how you started and then all the way up through kind of how you got to where you are now. Oh, my. <laughs> way back. I had to remember back that far. Yes. Um, well, I started piano because they brought a piano into school. Teacher came in. We did a group class and I came home and I told my parents I wanted to play piano, and so we got some lessons. I was um, playing for a couple of years, and I realized it was – I picked up the reading part of it really quickly for some reason. And when I got in the middle school, I was playing for the choirs. I got They actually had me come in to the high school to play for the theater productions because they didn't have somebody that could read. So I was in middle school. I went to the high school to play shows, and that's where I found – what I really wanted to do was um, get into the conducting and, and playing and, and, and just being part of theater. And I realized that I needed to really hone my um, reading skills even more, um, repertoire, technique, everything, the practicing all fell into that because it's not easy playing <laughs> those kind of scores and that. I played for um, numerous uh, groups in high school. Uh, jazz band got into that. And I decided to go into uh, music education um, at a university in in Kentucky. And I um, studied, I went in thinking I would want to do piano performance. And after a year of it, I realized that I would learn a lot more if I went under education because it was a double major at that time. I actually got vocal and instrumental at the same time. And it really prepared me because I had to take a semester of every group of instruments, whether it was string, brass, percussion, et cetera. And then because I read well, I played for every student's lesson I could get my hands on, mostly the vocal ones. I would get, uh, they would ask me to come play for them. Sometimes they would pay, but most of the time I just wanted to be in there absorbing as much as I could Mm -hmm. from the singers. And then I got to perform weekly and it was a small enough school. I played for a lot of the, uh, 
professors they actually asked me to play because it was quick for rehearsals because I didn't have to like practice for long periods of time. I could read the scores and that. So my, um, if I had to pick one thing right now, if somebody asked me, what do you need to work on? I would say you're reading. And, yep. and I had a band director said the best jobs you'll ever get are the ones where you recite read. Yep. That's and a recurring just, theme. Yeah. I was just yeah. going to say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 um, Playing by ear is not my forte. I know there's a lot of guys that can hear anything and just immediate play it. You know, I can hear things and play them, but it, there's people that excel in that. But when it comes to reading, I've played for so many people on last minute. You know, they'll call me like a couple hours before a gig. Oh, somebody didn't show up. And they know that I can sight read and I'll go over and do it. Um, then I ended up, uh, after I graduated, um, I was sitting at home wondering what I was going to do, and I got a call, and I, they asked me if I wanted to catch a ship in New York. <laughs> I was living in uh, Cincinnati at the time, and I um, was working with singers. Um, at had worked with a few singers, and they knew I did, so I ended up being hired to music direct and um, a, a set show with four singers on the cruise ships. This is back in the 80s. And it was all about reading because you can't rehearse because there's no time or places to rehearse, especially then they didn't have some ships now have like sound stages where you can rehearse, but there you were sight reading the shows in front of a live audience. Pressure. So, yeah. Pressure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was fun though. That I, I thought it was great. It was, it was exciting. It was never boring. Right. <laughs> and we never knew what artist was going to come on and I would um, accompany them also. Then I ended up doing, um, a lot of dinner theaters and, and hotels and that in the Southwest. And then uh, fast forward, I ended up uh, moving to Atlanta. I'd, I've lived in probably about 30 different places. Oh, wow. My life, yeah, I've moved around a lot. Wow. And I would set up shop as a music director for Musicana, what was a company I worked for. I was in Atlanta. I was uh, top call in the hotels there playing piano. And then um, I met my wife doing theater. I was music, asked to come in and music direct some um, uh, equity uh, union productions, and she was the lead in Oklahoma. So it was a uh, match made in heaven. Nice. <laughs> uh, but, um, oh, I got that wrong. Sorry, it was Guys and Dolls. She's going to get me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but we did both those shows. And then we decided to move to Chicago, and then that's we started a family, and I was playing full-time. And then I uh, went ahead and finished my certification because you have to redo that every so often. And I started teaching in Illinois full-time in the elementary school, Lake and Hills there. And I was playing full-time. It was a little much doing both, but I loved it so much. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And then we moved here to L.A. in 2008. I'm, I work in Burbank Unified School District. Wonderful district. Helped build the elementary school um, section we had two teachers that were covering 11 elementary school te uh, buildings so now um, we have five so we've done a lot and i owe a lot to, that to uh the administration there especially peggy flynn and uh, uh burbank arts for all mm -hmm. yeah wow. cool so what do you what do you miss about like playing like on all the shows because now you're, you're it's full-time coaching at this yeah. point, right? But, but was there something you miss about live performance or anything like that? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. It, it, um, I was doing so much of it for so long. When I first moved here, I really didn't want to be doing any of it for a while. And then I found myself enjoying working with um, playing 
for my students, um, just in my studio. But my daughter was at the time um, putting together a cabaret, and we did that several places. And she sings professionally mm-hmm. now. So um, she's the only one I play for that if we perform in at. So I get to do that. Do you give That's her fun. a discount? <laughs> yeah, I pay her yeah, yeah, <laughs> to put up with me. <laughs> no, it's fun. He only has to pay for half of the dinner bill. Yeah, yeah. Discount. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. Well, let's let's kind of dive into the to the coaching if you if you don't okay. mind. Um, let's start with like the the private coaching that you do. Can you kind of describe the process of people that come in to see you at your private studio, not the school district? Okay. Um, well. First of all, there, there's kind of a difference between a vocal coach and a voice teacher. And I like to think of myself as both, which is kind of dangerous to say, but I've done this for a long time. I study, actually, every morning I crack open a book about vocal technique or structures and singing, and I'm always looking for something to work with my singers. Even the ones that I just, quote unquote, do vocal coaching that want to get a song ready for an audition, I still... Um, run through some technique things with them and I use it in there. I kind of trick them into a few technique things that may need to be worked on, but um, they usually come to me wanting to learn to be a better singer. Even if they're just coming to vocal coach, they would just, what, what do I need to do? And I usually find that breathing is the key. Most singers have a really tough time with that, especially the young, younger kids. I have a lot of kids that uh, do stuff with Nickelodeon and Disney and, and they've kind of been thrown into singing with no preparation, and and they they're having trouble breathing. Their their throat, throats hurt because they're not supporting properly. So I spend a lot of time with breath support and how to use that in singing. Um, it really helps for auditioning because the first thing to go, as you well know, when you perform, especially if you're singers, you're breathing, mm-hmm. and if you haven't really worked on that or work on it just as you do the notes, you need to sing on that. Um. Once they're in the studio, I have a, a very large studio where they can move around. We, um, I run everybody through exercises for breathing and warm-ups. If somebody is, I can tell by their experience in that that we don't need to cover much of that. But they usually will say, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Even somebody who is seasoned and been doing this for 20 years. The breathing. You're the breathing about, okay. part of it. Yeah, yeah. sorry. The um if you look at a lot of artists today, they're, they're still coaching. That uh, Kristen Chenoweth comes to mind. She's a very well-known singer, and she still coaches weekly. And she talks about the breathing as always being the tough one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, um, you know, the main part of it. And if you breathe correctly, rhythmically, everything, it comes alive. Mm-hmm. It's like playing a horn or even playing drums, percussion. Yep. Yep. It's knowing when to breathe so that you're with that singer or with that instrumentalist that's playing. It's, you know, it needs to be intuitive. Well, I think guitarists and percussion and piano players all have that in common where you can have the potential to overplay because you don't have to stop and breathe like a horn player would have to. And so that's actually, I've been told that as an exercise to do is when you need to take a breath to stop playing as a a drummer, you know, or or as a guitar player. If you're improvising, stop and make a phrase where you need to breathe. As oh, a way to force yourself to play a little more musically. It's the foundation of phrasing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, absolutely. So many guitarists don't do that. I see that very, very often. Yeah. And we'll, I'll try and relate it to uh, like playing a saxophone. Because that's where, you know, electric guitar took over for the saxophone in, mm-hmm. in the uh, 60s. 
you had to breathe, right? The, yeah. Like you, you had to breathe. So, but guitarists, we don't need to just keep moving our fingers, yep. right? Yep. There's no breath there. Fail. Right. <laughs> so, right. I, exactly. You got to stop and, and use that for phrasing. Um, how how do you advise singers to work on their breathing during a performance? Like, because because if if their breathing's out of sync, like you were just saying, then then the foundation becomes shaky. Do you have any exercises that that performers that you coach performers on, like pre-show, during show, to maintain um, consistent breathing so that they stay level-headed during the performance? Ooh, there's <laughs> there's so many. It's, it's a step-by-step process that I run my students through so that it builds on itself so that it really becomes a habit. Uh, if it if they're actually in a performance and they're having trouble with that, then there's something missing from the foundation. Either not enough time to warm up before you start singing, or they, there's a hole in there somewhere in the process of learning and using the breathing. Mm-hmm. But that does happen when you get nervous; it will go away. The um, important thing is the is the think of the support itself. You, you have three things in your body that are true and same to any musical instrument. You have your energizer, you have your vibrator, and you have your resonator. And none of those work without breath and singing. You can look at a guitar and it still has the same things. The the strings are your vibrator, your hand is your energizer, and the body of the guitar is your resonator. So if you can think of all instruments, whether it's a wind instrument, your lips are the the vibrate, um, the instrument is the resonator and your breath and like trombone or flute is your is your um, energizer so if you can think of that as you are a full body instrument Mm -hmm. it should follow that you're going to kind of get back into line again if you think of yourself yeah i'm a full instrument what will happen is that somebody will forget and they start singing from their throat because it's an easy habit to get into especially if you want to if you get excited you want that belty loud sound and you forget oh i got to keep supporting and once they do they will realize that it's much easier to sing you generally what will happen um they'll realize that they're not breathing correctly as their voice gets tired or it starts hurting and then they're like kind of you know it's like whoa what do i need to change here and it really is they kind of need to stay back take a deep breath let that expand and it's not um shoulders going up or anything you actually the your, your tummy area expands with the ribs also. Your back actually expands if you're breathing correctly. But that takes a while to get that. So how do, how do people create or how do you coach your students on creating the habit of doing this? Like that's all the application, but the application is only as good as remembering to do it, right? right? Like you said, the habit. Mm-hmm. So how do you approach the, the mindset of going through the process and following a structured process uh, and making that the priority rather than other things? Well, um, I have a list of things that I run them through that I give them an actually handout of all the things you work on for breathing. And it gets kind of technical, so I'm, I really can't get into it without actually somebody sure. demonstrating. Yeah. But um, if you take a song they're working on and you talk about where they're supposed to breathe, well, that's nice and you can put your breath marks, but, um, and being a percussionist, you can appreciate this. Um, breathing is really rhythmical. And if it's not within the phrase and the rhythm of your song, you, 
you're not going to get the support you need. Uh, for example, I, I teach this song, um, Do Re Mi. And I, I use that as because it has set phrases. We're all familiar with it. Do a deer, a female deer, Ray. And we talk about taking that breath so that when the next entrance is, you're just ready to expel that air out, which means you've never closed off your throat. It leaves everything open. Do a deer, a female deer, Ray, and so forth. What we tend to do is, Do a deer, a female deer. <sighs> and then we hesitate and then we choke it off. And then that's where all the tension comes in. Then we're singing from our throat. Mm -hmm. So by working it into the repertoire, and I work on that every song, and then it becomes habit. Then all these things start to happen, the, the support where it needs to come from. The epigastric area, which is between your belly button and your sternum, that expands the laterals around there. That's what we want. You don't want the beer belly, deep breath, but right from there. So you think of breathing, it's just as rhythmic as the actual singing is. Yes. You, know, you breathe in time, in rhythm. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting if you've um, listened to some people singing, you can tell that they've may not have had as much experience or they're not as um, uh, adept at uh, phrasing in that. Um, I'm not going to use names, <laughs> but a perfect example is my, my daughter does um, ADR sometimes. And she, I'm not going to say who it is, but there was a singer who doesn't, she was an actress who really doesn't sing. And they hired my daughter to come in and put breath, breathing in the right places so it sounded right. Because oh, wow. it was it was really choppy and didn't it wasn't smooth. So they actually had her put in the breath sounds, like recording the breath, recording the, the, wow. the breath sounds over within the recording done by this singer. Wow. So you and I have had conversations about uh, the power of repetition, right? Like we're both oh. coaches, and and we've gone down <laughs> this path about do yep. it again, do it again, do it again, do it yeah. again right? And and that's how it really happens. You know, like that's how habits are formed and that's how uh, progress is made. But to get somebody to do that on their own, as we've discussed, is definitely a challenge. How do you advise your students, uh, even if you're working with them just one or two times before an audition, um, to, to cultivate that mindset themselves so that they have the repetition needed when they're not with you or in front of you? Right. Well, actually, it's not how much you do the repetitions. How intent you are with him. If you're engaged mm -hmm. and it's purposeful, yep. that's the key. Because you can run through a lick on the piano or uh, on the drum set, guitar, and do it 400 times. But if you're not engaged and you don't know why you're doing it, right? I'll spend a lot of time with my um, singers. Why is this phrase being sung this way? Why are the notes set up the way they are? Because you'll find when you're... For example, singing something that's um, exciting or you have news to tell, the the scale's going to go up and the, the melody's going to go up. If it's more sad, it's going to go down. So you have to kind of look at that um, total piece. And then you take those sections and then you work with that. And it takes, and even if you take a short um, thing to repeat over and over, is to do it as many different ways as you can is a great way to stay. Involved, change the rhythm, swing it instead of playing it with straight eighth notes 
or do it with um, or reverse the swing where you do the instead of long, short, long, short, mm-hmm. do the short, long, short, long with that um, exercise. So it's kind of changing it up so that you stay engaged and you have a purpose and you might discover something that you didn't know about that line or, or you might go, oh, wait a minute, that that sounds better that way, <laughs> even though it was kind of weird the first time or I can use that in my solo I think that's really interesting what you said about finding the purpose in well, why is it sung this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, will you go through that process with your singers when you're when you're breaking things down for them, like and help them discover the the meaning of either the lyric or the meaning of the melody and and how they can connect with that? Yeah, um, actually, <laughs> it's interesting. I can tell you, I can look at a um, vocal song that I'm going to teach somebody and I can circle all the places they are going to have problems. I look for words that they probably don't know the meanings of, which is generally what the younger kids may not know all the vocabulary. And then I can circle where there's repeated notes. They're usually going to get the second one wrong because we intuitively want think the note's going to change and mm-hmm. it'll stay the same. So when I point these out in the score, sometimes I'll do that before we kind of read through something and it saves me a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the national anthem gets forgotten a lot of times. People forget. And there's a word in there most people don't know what it means. Ramparts. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means <laughs> off the top of my head. It's the earthen sides of a fort. Okay. But when I, I find I most words that people mess up in a song, I'll usually say, what's the definition of that word? And they can't tell me. And it's because they they haven't really engaged with it and figured mm-hmm. out what they're actually singing or saying. Oh, so they can't remember it. Right. They don't. Yeah. It, it, Super interesting. It, it's yeah. like playing a solo, like you were talking about yeah. not knowing when to stop Yeah, because you don't know what you're saying. Right. 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 You know, it, I had, um, when I first moved to Chicago, nobody knew me as a player and I, and I played a few uh, jazz gigs and one of the best compliments, one of the guy goes, wow, you know, when not to play, <laughs> you leave, you know, go. when to leave space. I said, well, I don't like the, have, you know, just verbal things, just running, 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 running. Embrace the space. There, there needs yeah. to be punctuation. Yeah. That's the way we speak. Otherwise, people turn you off. You've ever had somebody talk without taking a breath? After a while, you're just kind of like, do you see their mouth moving, but you're not hearing what they're saying? Yeah. Because yeah. you don't have time to relax and go take it in. Yeah. And can you see a change in the singer, like, right as, as they discover the meaning of the word? Like, can you you watch the transformation happen? Actually, it's it's very it's very cool when you actually take a piece and you go through and and really f- figure out what it means to s- what the words mean and why the uh, melody goes where it does. It there's an ownership that they kind of take. It's like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to do here instead mm-hmm. of just singing a bunch of notes. Wow, that's really cool. Um, I don't do, do drummers do that as well. I, I don't know. Like like, do you interpret if you're if you're playing a piece? Like, do you interpret it differently? Like, you obviously you're not listening for the lyrics; you're listening for the part. But like, how how do you interpret parts that you have to play? I'm notorious for ignoring lyrics completely. I'm not talking but, about lyrics. I'm talking about no. you, but like the the percussion part. Interpreting, um, I'm looking at the arc of a song and giving it a dynamic shape from taking it on a journey from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and realizing where the peaks and valleys are dynamically, and you have to know. I mean, it's a similar concept, I guess. Mm-hmm. You have to know where you're going and you have to have the big picture in mind. Uh, I mean, I, I relate that a lot to dynamics. You know, you have to know where a song is going dynamically. 
you know, by the time you're at a second chorus, you know that the bridge is either going to notch up or it's going to be a breakdown. Or if the bridge is big, it's probably going to be a breakdown chorus after the bridge, things like that. And so that, from a drumming standpoint, I look at the drummer's role as being the one to like dictate to everyone else the dynamic shifts and things like that. Sure. I mean, you listen to most records, right? Then you can hear the changes because the, the hi-hat opens up a little bit more yeah, or exactly. bill or something yeah. that, that says, hey, here comes the next section. I point that out to, to students a lot. It's really cool you kind of validated what I was riffing about. Yeah, <laughs> that's it cool. can be obvious things or it can be subtle things, but over time um, you get used to hearing what those things are. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm speaking from the standpoint of a non-drummer. Someone playing with a drummer, you learn to hear, like you just said, the hi-hats open up or certain fills are descending or going a certain way. Mm-hmm. You learn to hear that stuff. Wow, I mean, this is this is playing music, right? Like this is like yeah. the real joy of playing yeah. music is is thinking exactly like, in this level. And yeah. and the other thing is when we're talking about those little sections that we repeat over and over and over, I find it really helps. So I'll take my students and we'll look at the whole song. We'll step back from it and say, what shape is this song doing? Is it a steady incline? Is it going? Is it going louder and faster? Or does it drop off right away? What kind of ending does it have? Does it build up to that ending? Or is it one of those that fades away? Or is it a, like a Rocky Mountain up and down, up and mm-hmm. down shape over the course of the three minutes or four minutes? Because mm-hmm. sometimes we get so into the little sections that we practice so hard mm-hmm. that we forget the overall shape. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? Where's the middle? Where's the end? We're telling a story. Yeah. So we should know the shape of that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Can we pivot the conversation at this point and and go uh, kind of backwards in time to when you were playing? Uh, we with uh, the guests that we have on, we'd like to talk about what they've learned uh, during their live experiences. And and I'm I'm sure you're a musical director at, at various points in your career. What were some of the takeaways that you saw would make a musician successful uh, beside yourself, like um, and get more gigs? And uh, counter to that, what did you see that got people to lose gigs? Show up early to the gig. <laughs> if you show up on yep. time, you're late. Yep. <laughs> and nothing scares people on a band is when one of the guys shows up just in time to put their horn up to their lips yep. or to play it. There's always something that needs to be talked through or whatever is to be there early and to talk through things. But um, it kind of goes back to the reading mm-hmm. because um, and, and being prepared because I, um, I did a was asked to do a show for um, Marvin Hamlish, um, chorus line. He wrote uh, "Way We Were," many movies and everything. He's a very well known artist. That, um, he passed away not too long ago. He um, hated the rehearse, and he had a two hour show. And usually it's with orchestra and him playing. And they hired me to come in and be like the orchestra. So I had, I had one keyboard. I had to do all these different sounds. We had a drummer, bass player, and him. He came in and he hates to rehearse. So we got through a half hour of the show. So if I had not been diligent in getting the the score early, working on it, doing all the patch changes, everything, I would have been lost in the middle of the performance. And it was for a large convention that we were doing this for. So it's being prepared, Mm -hmm. um, showing up on time, but... Um, so far as um, being musically ready, I mean, there's there's so many things that you need to work on to be a competent professional musician. Everything from uh, you just got to have rock solid rhythm. 
You have to be able to read. You got to listen. You got to know when things are not going correctly, how to fix them, how to get people out of trouble. I've many time uh, accompanying singers, jumping sections or dropping beats or adding beats. Um, it, it's very, it, 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 the ears, once you're in that, it's being able to read and pay attention to what you're doing, but also keep that ear out for what's going on. It's like being on stage as an actor. You can't just say your lines. You actually have to listen and react, and then your line comes in next from that. It's the same thing with music. Hmm. Okay, cool. So moving on from, from there, uh, people that are starting off their careers – besides being early and all the, the skill sets that, that, that you talked about, what are some of the kind of interpersonal skills that you found important that, that people should know about and have in their toolkit? Um, you want to have confidence, but check your ego at the door because mm. it's, it's, it's a group effort. It, unless you're coming into play solo and you're by yourself, then, then it's up to whatever you do. But when if there's two people involved or if there's 18 – you have to be part of that machine, part of that um, working group. So you have to find your place, um, be listening and make sure that you're blending with what's going on in the, the uh, ensemble, especially as a music director. That was a hard time. There was always the one trumpet player that wanted everything at Forte all the time because it, would, it was just fun for him. But it, we're doing when I was music directing uh, professional theater, that was a problem because we had singers on stage. <laughs> So trying to keep them all in, at one level and then to be able to keep the singer where they need to be vocally. And, and you know, that can be controlled from the control room, the microphone, but um, being aware of what the whole group, what the purpose is. Um, sometimes it's good. I found some um, instrumentalists that um, would cue off of drummers. They would if they were new on a gig. They would show up, they would watch the drummer instead of who was conducting sometimes because the drummer was right mm -hmm. on the beat. Mm -hmm. No matter what the conductor was doing, the drummer, and a lot of times I'd you get used to how they move their sticks and that, it's like watching a conductor. You you got the preparation beat, you could be right on there. So it, it's things like that. Kind of in using, defense of that strategy, every conductor is so different. Oh, yes. So difficult usually to follow. Yeah. And and that you, seems like a safe method to me. Yeah, I don't know if you're saying that in a good way or bad way. I think it's no, no, I it's a good way because yeah. um, that's the thing. Until you get used to how the conductor works, yeah, I think that's unless good, you've had rehearsals yeah. with him. If it's sometimes you, it's all top. Then there's some conductors. I worked with one, uh, Kevin Stites. Um, he, you didn't have to know your part. You could tell exactly what to play and when and how to play it by his moves. He just had this sense. Yeah. And there's people like that that just, and they're not playing. They're just moving their hands and you know exactly where to go. So, and being, you know, looking for those advantages, paying attention, looking out of the corner of your eye. Don't be wrapped in and, you know, don't worry about your technique and that if it's not there, it's too late if you're on the gig. Mm -hmm. That That's stuff you would shed and do in the, in the studio. What was something that you learned um, during your time uh, gigging? that you didn't learn or couldn't learn out of a book or a class? Something, oh. something about performing or, or playing, just something that, that your experience taught you, not uh, theory. Okay. Well, a little bit of what we just talked about, the working in a group, watching conductors, mm -hmm. but um, t 
tempos. You know, Can it's you on that? there's it was interesting because um, I had to record a, a full blown version of uh, Oklahoma. They wanted it to do with uh, tracks, which I wasn't too happy about doing, but I was young and and so I had went in the studio. We we're doing this, and then I realized I couldn't do the tempos we were practicing at. I had to set the tempos like two weeks into the run. And nobody ever explained and never occurred to anybody to ever, yeah, if you're going to do recordings or think, you, the tempos change from opening week to the second week till everybody gets comfortable. And then also, that said, if you're playing live, if you have a small audience, you tend to step up your tempos. Don't be so locked into your slower things. And when you have a bigger audience, you can take a little bit more time. You can take them places. Mm. At least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. And when I was playing cocktail piano, I could actually move a room if they had a lot of reservations stacked up. I just played a lot of happy, fast tunes. And people actually ate faster. And they turned the tables faster. <laughs> wow. And then when I'd slow down, it was amazing. I didn't believe it until this a gourmet chef I worked with, he said, just change your level. You can control the room. On my, if it's really busy, play up tempo things. If it's um, quiet, just take your time. You can take all the time in the world. Play that slow is things. really yeah. cool. Yeah, but it's amazing how it has an effect on people. Mm -hmm. So, so go, go back to what you said about when you were recording the backing tracks. Yes. So tempos would change by the third week or second week, always in one direction or another, or did it fluctuate? Yeah, it usually things got faster. As they as the vocals yeah. become more comfortable, Com they're comfortable. able to sing it faster. And also, uh, um, one of the uh, producers said, "We need all the tempos a little bit faster because we want the show to be shorter. Gotcha. We don't want it to go too long. You know, the people don't want to sit there along, move the show along. Right. But when you're working, um, practicing with the the cast, and you got the tempos and the way they want to do it and everything, and then we get this recording and everything's like stepped up. And mm -hmm. I said, just relax. You're going to get there." And you, it's going to feel comfortable. And generally, they were like, oh, that was the right tempo. Because if we'd started there, it would have been a slow drag all the way. Now nice. you can change things very quickly with right. digital recordings and computers. Right. And, and there's a, their whole issue with using tracks versus live musicians. Uh, mind you, I was not. I only did that at one time. And I, I right. said, no, this isn't for me. Because yeah, yeah. having to click in my ear, I was conducting playing. We right. had live musicians with it. It was just to fill out. So mm -hmm. it was a little weird. Mm -hmm. So did you, I, I'm sure most of those situations, you would accompany the vocals for a certain amount of time before, like say the rhythm section came in. Oh yeah. So did then, was that a tempo difference? Like oh, you were, because when absolutely. the rhythm section comes in, you're locking in tempos as part of the rehearsal process. Yes. And when it's just you and vocals, it's much more fluid. Yeah, the, the, nobody ever prepared me for what it was like to a Broadway show, whether it's um, where, whether you're on Broadway or wherever, in um, regional theaters doing professional theater. You have two weeks to put a show up, and generally the sit scrub is the first time you run the stuff with the singers in the um, in a rehearsal room, and then you might, if you're lucky, I remember having one one afternoon not even a whole day where the pit orchestra actually ran through the show and then you were in and doing it. So it, it's crazy because of cost. 
Mm-hmm. You yeah. put all those musicians yep. in there and everything, the, the cost gets. Um, and so it's important that you read and pay attention and, and just can kind of feel where it's going before it's there. Hmm. And, uh, and the singers and the performers on stage are still trying to figure out how to get the costumes on and run across. There's so many pieces right. to this that you don't think about. And sometimes you have to learn to listen well enough and go, wait a minute, I didn't hear that vocal cue. We got to stretch this. You know, yeah. I did. You, you know, you don't think about the things that can go wrong that you actually have to fill time. Mm-hmm. You can't just go, okay, we'll wait and we'll start it. Something has to be going on. Right. That's on and the so job you, learning. You build in safeties. <laughs> yeah, as build you in safeties, really, and sometimes you, you run out of. There isn't safeties, and right. I've made up stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, you just start playing something off of one of the themes or whatever to fill in. That's in with the full band though. And or are you talking- uh, I've had that happen with um, one of the bands I worked with guys were it just, they had been doing this for such a long time. I kind of just said, let's just riff on the, the last tune. And we just started. Yeah. But that, for, that was cool. For an instrumentalist wanting to get into that kind of work, it's important to learn what vamps are, what safeties are. Oh what yeah. The differences like all that you need to know. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and there, there really isn't a class for that. It's just play for the high school plays, play for college plays, any place that they need musicians. You may work for free, but it's so much fun playing. Yeah. And boy, mm-hmm. you'll learn so much from doing that. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the score itself, all the things that are written in there, it's just amazing. Do you, can you provide any practical exercises for people that don't have access to going to and playing for high schools or, or churches or other productions that they can work on those skills uh, at home? Well, there's... There's a lot of play along uh, things available now, whether it's uh, Jamie Ebersole always comes to mind. There's yeah. all the jazz things, yeah. but there's also some uh, pop series and things like that out there. I mean, um, for um, instrumentalists, it's sometimes even just singing yourself. If you're a pianist, mm-hmm. you know, sing the song while you're playing and just kind of feel what that feels like. And because sometimes we just get so worried about getting our part down that if um, be the vocalist, see what and then you're going to realize, oh, I need to take time here because I need to breathe or I need to do this kind of put yourself in their shoes. And that's kind of preparing on all ends, you know, because you have your your real chops and then you have your situational chops. Right. uh, Which is it's people don't rehearse that enough. Yeah. And also for um, unless you're a witness from it, even. Uh, trumpet players in that the drummers pianists guitarists if, um, you don't have to be a great singer but there's always a time that you may get the gig because you can sing a bit backup parts or you can sing at least a couple songs to give somebody a break you don't have to be you know a frank sinatra type voice mm-hmm. or whatever but if you're mm-hmm. competent and know how to sing it can help you get the gig mm-hmm. wow cool um what kind of tendencies or trends are you seeing in the singers that come to see you now um, that either you like or don't like, not the singers, oh, but the trends. Well, it, it's, it's whether or not liking or, or liking it's, um, what I'm finding is I, singers are coming in and they've been watching this plethora of competition shows We're just inundated with perfect singing, so to speak. Everybody sings on pitch. Everybody's doing this well on TV. It's a competition and, Nobody just sings for the fun of it because they, why well, don't sing well enough? Because they're comparing themselves to that. The little known, se- unknown secret is that most of them are auto-tuned on these performances. They're, that's not their real pitch voice. Mm-hmm. I'm not 
knocking them. They there's a reason they do it for certain things. Not all artists, but um, it, it, we've we've taken this to such a level that people are afraid to sing now. <laughs> and I I just had one uh, before I came here today to um, that came in and she was voicing that same thing. She says, "Why? Well, I, I just don't. I can't get that sound." And she never really sung. And I said, "Well, you're not going to. That those people have been at it for years and years." And they also get the impression sometimes in some of this media that they're an overnight success. They just discovered they could sing. And then when you just when you dig in a little deeper, they've been taking lessons. Their parents were performers. They they've been doing this for quite a while. Mm-hmm. They didn't just wake up one day and go, "Oh, I can sing." <laughs> I think I'll be on a show. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing the tendency being that people are either too afraid or they have they have an anxiety about singing because they've been comparing themselves to people yeah. that are being auto-tuned and yeah. on top of that, expecting perfection right away. Yeah, well, that's the unrealistic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like um, I can teach breathing and the whole process in 10 minutes. It takes 10 years to perfect. Right. It's kind of, and you could do that with almost everything in music. I mean- yeah sitting here between us, the experience we've had, just what you have to go through to learn something. You know, we can explain a lot of the things in 10 minutes, but to actually incorporate it and do it is the year-long process. Right, and then getting people to buy into that, to to understand it's not going to be perfect immediately, but play the game. Yeah, well, we're in a society now where it's kind of like, I can get it today. Right. Yeah, this is not Amazon. And that is, (laughs) I think, the biggest challenge that young musicians face. Yeah, and it's interesting when you do, when the students come in and when you start working with them and they realize, oh, I'm going to have to practice to do this. Yeah. 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 You can't just walk out and throw 90 out mile an hour pitches in baseball. Right. This takes years and years of. There's an artist, a singer songwriter I currently work with who came in to take a drum lesson with me a couple of weeks ago. Oh, cool. Which I think is an awesome idea. And she's yeah. going to come back. It was her first one. We did a half hour lesson at the end. She goes, I got to be honest, I thought I'd be better at that faster. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, nope. <laughs> yeah. It, but it, it's funny. I mean, that resonates what you're saying. There is that expectation, and it's probably the culture we're in and everything else, immediate gratification. People yeah, want to be good at it right away and not realizing. Well, the there's also the practice in between. Mm-hmm. Just showing up, I have students that will show up, and they're and I'll get them to a certain point. Like, oh, things are really happening. They'll come back the next week. And then we're back where we started yeah, last week. It's like we have to build it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and, and, but once they, um, I had one student came in so excited. She said, man, I can really sing now. And I said, well, what changed? She said, I started practicing every day and I realized I was getting really good at it. <laughs> I thought, that's it. That's it. There you go. Even if it's 10 minutes a day to get started, I do that with students. I mm-hmm. said, you don't have to do two hours or a half hour. Just start with 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it every day, then all of a sudden you're going to find, you'll look at the clock, you've been there for 20 minutes, then it's 30 minutes, and you'll see improvement if it's every day. Practicing for an hour on Monday and then not doing anything till the following week, it's not going to happen. Right. It's that persistence, purposeful, engaged, yeah. practicing. Intention, and once they can get practicing. over the hump to the point where they're seeing progress, then yeah. the self-motivation can kick in because yeah. they're realizing that it's paying off. Yeah, and that's where a teacher can kind of help facilitate that mm-hmm. on choice of repertoire where there's a, um, you'll pick repertoire or things that they're very interested in or easily accessible where they can have success quickly, mm-hmm. whether it be shorter pieces that they, cause sometimes 
um, it's just overwhelming to look at four pages of piano music. But if you can get a 16-measure-long piece or um, vocal pieces that don't have eight verses to them, you know, things that are quick and easy. Right, the little wins. Yeah, and they, the little and they wins, add up. so you can build on it. And and that's just how we learn and do everything, you know. Mm-hmm. We do, you, you don't build a house first. You, right. <laughs> you build the birdhouse, and you build the next thing, and right. you work your way up. Yeah. One step at a time, we build yep. our career. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So as as we kind of gear down and and bring the uh, the ship into dock, let's let's go with um, a, a couple of questions we like to we like to close with. Um, but one is what what piece of advice if you can give one piece of advice to a uh, either a singer or artist or musician of of any uh, instrument starting their career, what would it be? Listen, listen, listen. Listen to as many different artists and see if you can find a piece that you really like and find as many different artists performing that. It's amazing, especially with classical music, which is all written out. And we're supposed to play it the way it's written. And you can take five pianists or, or even singers that um, sing opera and you will not get the same performance. And it's just fascinating to me how different all these are and, and the things you can ideas you can get from that but comparing that and listening. Cool. And then if people are in the area, in the LA area, how can they find you if they want to do some sessions with you? Oh, uh, stevehollismusic.com. And do you do any um, online coaching for people that aren't in the LA area? Uh, no. Okay. I, that, I've, I've tried to do that, but it, um, I do it with my daughter only because I've worked with her for so long mm-hmm. to help her out. She's in New York and I, and um, I just do warmups and that. The, Working with, you know, I, nothing against doing online. I just, it, the delay time, I, I like, for my type of teaching, the, the organic part of me playing and singing and, and getting that uh, push and pull back and forth. So but for there all, are things you can teach that way. But uh, So for everyone listening that would like to do a session, we will go to orbits.com and book a flight to Burbank to come and see yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yes. Um, Dave, anything you want to you want to wrap up with before we uh, we close out? No, this has been great. It's okay. fun talking yeah, to you. Yeah, really oh, great. And we can go down the whole rabbit hole of all a whole bunch of other topics, but we'll save oh, yeah. that for another conversation. Would love um, it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming by. We appreciate you. I think our audience is most definitely better for it. You're and, very welcome. Um, to all of you listening, keep listening. We're signing off. Bye. for listening to Musician Mindset with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. 